0: Good morning, it's good to see you guys, good to be with you guys, uh, if it's your first time here I want to personally welcome you, my name is Ricardo Stewart, I'm one of the pastors here I get an opportunity to do a bulk of the preaching and we'll do such this morning So we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians We're going to be looking at chapter 3, verses 12, all the way to chapter 4, verse 1 um, if you don't have a Bible or you forgot to bring a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and get you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, first, I hope you guys didn't, any of you guys didn't, um, like, record the World Cup. We won, so, sorry. Man. And by, by we, I mean America, but just in case you thought I was from the Netherlands. Uh, um, so, <laughs> I get that sometimes. So, oh, come on, have you guys recorded the World Cup? Sorry, that's not like some football game or something like that. I mean, I'm being serious. A football game has a very few people who would watch that game. The World Cup is the whole country. So, somebody was going to tell you I just wanted to be the first. All right, so... I gotta do something before we get into the text. Um, not something I'm always really comfortable about, but I do gotta give an update kind of where my family's at. So uh, just for us as a family, we could definitely do some prayers uh, personally for us. Um, so last Sunday, I taught at Redemption Gateway, which is our congregation way out just west of New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, it was great being out there. They got their act together. We got some stuff to do here. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Monday morning, we flew up to Northern California to be with my wife's family. We were in Tahoe. Uh, They're just outside of Tahoe on the lake, and it's, uh, it's pretty beautiful there. Um, it was a good time. My son did ask me, all of sudden, he goes, well, how come there's no black people up here? And I said, well, it's where white people go to escape black people. Um, <laughs> I said, I'm joking, and I just said, sheer numbers. We don't do a whole lot of water sports, but we're here. And it's so, what? Watch the Winter Olympics. You guys don't like it when people keep it real. It's like, oh, watch the Winter Olympics. In fact, we don't do it so well that they made a movie about it when the Jamaican bobsled team actually won, okay? So, so anyways, we were there, and um, so my, uh, my uncle, back in Mississippi, that's where my whole family's at right now, uh, he uh, just, just wasn't feeling well and went into the, the doctor, and they realized he had a blood clot on his brain, and so they performed surgery to. Uh, Release the blood clot, which they were successful in doing that. However, they were unsuccessful in the leakage of the brain. And so he was in a coma for the whole time we were there. And then last night he passed away. And so, yeah, it, I mean, he's our, uh, yeah. So our family's real tight. And so it's a, uh, he was the father figure for, for a lot of us. And, um, and it just so happened, those, those of you guys who were here three years ago, same, like, same, literally to the date, we just got done with the family reunion and then um, same family, my cousin died unexpectedly at 28 years old. And so our family is just like kind of a mess there. So if you, uh, I mean, not just there, us too. And so just, just be praying for us. And I don't usually like normally sharing these things. One, because I do know this. I know that you guys care. I know that you guys will pray. And so I appreciate that. I also appreciate not everybody coming up to me after the service uh, wanting to talk about it uh, or uh, get a hug. And that's not my way to deflect. I just, it just does a lot of you guys. And so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so I wasn't going to share, but I, I felt like that would have been somewhat selfish. So, so anyways, and so as I preach today, if, if, if it's a little sad, it's just because I'm sad. Um, and uh, yeah, and um, just don't, don't feel the need to come talk to me afterwards. I don't know if I said that earlier. Uh, <laughs> and it just seems such deflecting. It's just going, just know that, like, that they're, they're, I have people that are, that are going to do that. And I said that last hour, and, and yet people still came in gave me hugs, which I appreciate it. I know you guys care. Some of you. So let's, uh, (laughs) let me recap. So last week, um, Jake taught here, and so I was at Gateway teaching the same text, Jake Jake taught here, and he did a really, really good job. In fact, he texted me, and he said to share this with you guys. I said, hey, is there anything you want me to do? And he goes, hey, yeah, can you let them know how great of a job that I did last week? (laughs) And so there's Jake right there. Jake, Jake. (laughs) <laughs> My dude. So, none of that's true. He didn't actually text that. Uh, that's just what you do w- when someone's younger than you, like, outshines you. You embarrass them. So, taught the same text, and yet I listened to Jake, and I thought, oh, hmm, I should have said that. <laughs> good job, Jake, and I'm glad that I could tell everybody that. Um, so, Jake taught last week, and uh, he did a really good job. And so, one of the things to recap is, when we started this section in chapter 3, there was a turn, and that is Paul had been talking about his love and his affection for them. And then he begins to encourage them primarily to watch out for a particular group of people. He calls the dogs. And that is a very, very sharp language to say anybody who was actually messing with the very essence of what it means for us to follow Jesus. And that is the gospel. Meaning if you add anything to the gospel or you take away anything from the gospel that's no longer gospel, therefore we no longer have life from it. So Paul was not saying this was some open-hand issue, things like, should we, serve, uh, should we worship together at, at this time of the day or this time of the day? Those could be open-hand issues. This is a closed-hand issue. I mean, you mess with this, you mess with all of Christianity. And so Paul says, watch out for those, and particularly the group of people that Jake said were Judaizers. These were men and women who believed and professed Christ as Lord and for salvation however they also believed that those who were not ethnically Jewish people so Gentiles had to observe all the mosaic laws and so they added to the gospel which is no gospel at all so Paul says watch out for them and then he goes on to his own resume and he says if there was anybody who could make themselves right before God by observing the mosaic law he goes it would be me and what he's saying is nobody was better than me he says, when it comes to being a Hebrew, I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. When it comes to being a person who understood the law, I was a Pharisee. When it came to passion or zeal, I persecuted the church who I thought was against the Mosaic law. And he goes, but all of these things I count as loss compared to knowing Jesus. Now, let me be very clear. It doesn't mean the things that we do in our life are, are, are just, they don't matter. It's just going, when it comes to a vertical relationship with God, there's nothing that we can do here to make ourselves right before the Lord. There's nothing you can do religiously. There's nothing you can do socially. There's not enough that you can do to make yourself right before the Lord, because he himself begins to be the measuring stick. And I don't care how good you are at things. I mean, some of you go, well, I own a really good company. That's, that's amazing. God owns the world, Okay. <laughs> Some of you are really good parents. Our, our kids are great. OK, he had one kid, and he was amazing, right? <laughs> are your kids better than Jesus? No, they're not. In fact, they all need Jesus. We've seen them, right? So we have you, have, you have this sense you cannot make yourself right before the Lord. Well, then Paul says these three things that he really desires, and he's talking to the church, and he's using his life as an example of what we, those of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, ought to pursue. He says, I want to know Christ. He says that, like, and know that word know there is, is, um, it's not a verb, it's a noun. It, it literally means to have experience. And what that means is I don't want just intellect about Jesus, right? We can teach people to read and understand facts about Jesus. You guys may not know this, but majority of biblical scholars, those who actually study the Bible, don't actually believe it, right? And that's not, not me judging going, oh, their life. No, no, they would tell you, no, this is just something I'm doing for school. Um, They don't believe it. It is not just being able to have intellectual understanding of something. It's relationship It's the way that you would describe a friend the way you would describe a girlfriend a boyfriend the way you would describe a spouse You wouldn't start off by listing facts, right? You wouldn't say oh, yeah, you're married. Yeah, tell me about your wife Well, a uh, like you wouldn't start like that you would tell about your relationship together that's that knowing Christ and having a relationship and experience in the life and love in which he gives you. Then Paul says this, I don't really want to just know Christ, I want to gain Christ. Which seems to be at odds with what he's saying, that whole section, because he's saying you can't do anything to win Christ and yet to gain Christ literally means to win Christ. He's talking about receiving, how we receive Christ. And the reason why that's difficult for us is we don't know how to receive gifts. We talked about that. We, we do horrible at receiving gifts. Um, kids, by the way, they know how to receive gifts. Like, there's never been the kid who's received an incredible gift that was like, did you really get this for me? Oh, no, I can't. Mom, no way. Right? Yeah, right. They accept it. They actually don't accept the horrible gifts. So you, you, you have to, to know Christ, to gain Christ, which means, literally means to receive him. And then lastly was to be found in him. And to be found in Christ and have, not having a righteousness of your own. So what Paul is saying is when it comes to religion— and what the Judaizers were talking about this pejorative sense of religion. It is you create a resume for yourself with your behavior, your obedience, your morality, the things you've accomplished. You take that resume and you hand it to God, and then He accepts you on the basis of that resume. Or you get into relationship, and that is a relationship with the gospel, and that God Himself puts on flesh and Jesus. He comes and He actually lives a righteous life. He takes His resume and hands it to the Father, and the Father accepts it, and He and thus accepts us on the basis of not what we have done but what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so now we are found in Christ. And even that, we said that, that could somewhat seem abstract. But when you look at it in, in the way that the Bible talks about love, and the way that the Bible talks about us being found, it is rather relational. And that is now, because what Christ has done in his righteousness, the Father, when he sees us, he sees his Son. And I'm telling you, I've told this before, when you want to know what God has been doing the longest... Right? We say God's a judge. Okay, he didn't judge until there was sin in the world. He's always existed. God's a creator. He didn't create until he created the world. He's always existed. Because he's existed, Father, Spirit, and Son, the one thing that the Father has always done, he's always been a father who loves his son. And that zeal and that sort of affection that he has for Christ, now he has for us when and only if we receive Christ Jesus. So to add to that would be denying the very patient, caring affectionate intimate love that the father has for us by creating us in the image of himself redeeming us through the shed blood of his son jesus that we receive by faith amen but that gospel becomes becomes it and paul's saying when we get that gospel Like, when we, like, wrap a hold of that, we live now into the power of the resurrection. So that's how last week concluded. And this week, what Paul is talking about is how we live out that relationship. I promise you, if you've been a Christian for 60 days, there is nothing I'm going to say to you that's new today. If if there was a desire to come in and hear something new, like, you're not going to hear it. In fact, most weeks, you're not. Because God doesn't give us anything new. It's a deepening of the relationship in which we already have. So, so what we have today is Paul saying, how do we, losing his life, how do we, those of us who are followers of Christ, how do we follow God in the midst, in their case in Philippi, of suffering, in, in the midst of opposition, um, in the midst of um, confusion, maybe in our case, midst of doubt, the way in which we drift from God, um, with our life with Jesus is not as we would desire it to be. How do we find ourselves rooted and saturated in the love of God in the context of one another. So that's, that's what we're going to look at today. We're just going to walk through the text, verses 12 all the way through 4 um, 1. So before we do that, let's ask God to bless our time. God, you are patient, you are good, you are Father. Jesus, you are our elder brother who went before us, and that you have died on our behalf, and you were raised into new life, and by the Spirit, you give us life. And by that same spirit, the same power that raised you from the dead, Jesus, I pray that you would awaken up our souls and our eyes to see one where we are drifting away from you, that you would allow us to see how we may be found in Christ, that when it comes to the good news of Jesus, there is nothing new, and yet there's so much more in Christ. God, I pray that we would see that we would be satisfied and only satisfied in you and you alone, Jesus, that you are enough. So God, help our eyes to be fixed upon you. To understand our citizenship in heaven, to see who you've called us to be as a people, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus's name, Amen. So, when Holly and I first got married, um, almost twelve years ago, my best friend. Uh, first of all, one of the best things about a wedding are the gifts that you receive, right? It's true. I know some of you guys are getting married, like, no, there's a the cake, and it's the gifts that you receive. Okay, um, so. We, one of the gifts that our friend got us, which was kind of like odd to us because we didn't watch the show, 24, he gave us the first five series of 24, right? And so we start watching it, and clearly we were years behind, and it was, it was just like anything else we watched. We never watched just one episode. It was always like, you, another one, right? And then the next one, the next one, and so forth. And when you watch 24, if you've never seen it, it's it's It's, it's okay. Uh, it's, you you start to like I don't know, you really get into it. I really like Jack Bauer. My wife was like, I don't trust anybody. Everybody's, you know, it's like, listen, Holly, you should have never trusted anybody before. No, I'm just joking. And so we are watching it and what I love about it is one Jack will do anything for whatever is the bottom line. I mean, he will take out anybody even if it's his own coworker. Like he is for the protection of the people of the United States of America in theory, right? And so now, the thing about Jack Bauer is, one, I'm glad that when I, I wasn't a pastor at that time because I probably would have used all these illustrations about how our faith is supposed to be like Jack Bauer and we're supposed to do all these things, right? Because I'm sure I would have, you know, but I'm glad I wasn't so I couldn't because you know why? Jack Bauer is not real, okay? And to be honest with you, there's very little, if anything, in 24 that's actually real. Like, even when you break it down to the very small things of, like, Jack will be in Simi Valley, and then, and then he needs to be in Santa Monica, and they'll say, okay, jump on the 405. He goes, all right, how many minutes are you out? Ten minutes. And I'm like, okay, that couldn't be more unrealistic, right? Like, never in the history of Los Angeles has anybody ever been on the 405 freeway heading to the next exit in ten minutes, let alone going from one county to the next. Like, like, this doesn't make any sense. Even Jesus on the 405 is like, when are you going to be here? He goes, no one knows the day nor the hour, right? So you, I say, I say that because when it comes to our walk with Jesus, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to discipleship, whatever language you're familiar with, hear me, um, if you've been around Christian circles, sometimes the way we motivate each other is by giving examples from people who are just not realistic. It's Jack Bauer-type faith, or it's Braveheart-type faith, or like this is what it's like, and we, cho- we use language, and especially youth pastors, we use language like you got to be radical, you got to be passionate, you got to be sold out or on fire, like all of these things that you got to have, and, and yet this walk with Jesus is like a marathon, and we shoot everybody out in a sprint, and then they burn out, and we wonder why, because it's not realistic. Like, it's not realistic to say what passion looks like is that your hands are always raised and you're, you always have a smile and you go on every mission trip and you do all of these things. And then what happens, as many of us have experienced, is years later you go, was that even real? Or was I just caught up in the moment? When our faith in Jesus is less like 24 and probably more like this is us, right? Just when you think things are good going, going good, someone dies. Like, it's, 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 I don't know, that's not fair. It's somewhere in between. And so there's, there's highs and lows. And the point of this is when Paul writes this, Paul is in prison, and yet Paul writes joy, rejoice, joy, joy over again. Like, if there was a word that would describe his letter to the Philippians, it's joy. He's not talking about fake smiles, and he's not talking about this unrealistic faith. He's talking about people who walk with Christ, who have their minds fixed upon him, what he's doing and how he's bringing heaven to earth, and they're able to put one foot in front of the other, and the next day put the other foot in front of the other, and it's a very, in some ways, monotonous, mundane faith that is so good because Jesus is enough. Like, that just, like, there's no youth camp that's happening this summer that's going to be titled, The Mundane Faith of Following Jesus, Right? <laughs> Hashtag, boring, right? That, that's just not, not going to happen. And yet, when you, when you look at your life with following Christ, there are highs and there are lows. There are circumstances and situations where you are so thankful for, and there are circumstances and situations that you wish would go away, and yet the present and the constant is not your love for God, but his love for you. Paul writes that for us to have a clear understanding of what it looks like for us collectively to be able to follow Jesus. Here's what he says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul says. He goes, I don't pretend that I've obtained it, okay? And the reason why he's saying this is this. He just got finished talking about all the things that he had did, and he counted his loss, for knowing Christ, and being found in Christ, and gaining Christ, and knowing the power of his resurrection, which could seem very Jack Bauer-ish. Like, I've done all these things. And he goes, let, let, me, let me just make things clear, guys. I haven't obtained this. Like, I, I haven't arrived. One of the things we have to know as followers of Christ when it comes to deepening our relationship with Jesus, the destination is always Jesus, not performance. Hear me. The destination is always Jesus, not intellect. The destination is always Jesus, not accomplishments, not achievements. It's always Jesus. Um, Our performance, our achievements, our success, our failure, everything flows out of the goal, which is to know and be known, to gain and to be found in Jesus. Like, everything we have just flows out of that. So when Paul says, I haven't obtained it, he's saying, I'm on the same, plat- like the same playing field as you are. There's no such thing as a Christian who is above another Christian. Right? That would go against what Christianity is. That means you and I in this room that are followers of Christ, we were saved by sheer grace, meaning we were so bad that God had to die for us, and yet we were so loved that he was pleased to do it. That puts us here. Now, are there other are there believers who are further ahead in the walk of us? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are more mature? Absolutely. But Paul, by the way, the Apostle Paul goes, I am telling you something about this faith. And that is, though I am grabbing on to something which is grabbing on to me, I don't fully get it. He goes, I'm pressing on, right? I'm taking aim, does he says, of Christ because why? Because he's already taken a hold of me. That everything in which we do, we fl- it flows out of what Christ has already accomplished for us. That it's not us reaching out to God, hoping that he would reach out to us. It's God actually reaching out to us and making a way in which we can reach out for him. So when that happens, there's something that which should humble us on that. That if the Apostle Paul says, um, I get it, but I don't fully get it, that there's nobody in this room who fully gets it. Okay, Unless, unless... You think that you were better than the Apostle Paul, which means you don't really get it, okay? So another way to say it is this way. When it comes to our understanding of the gospel, if you say that you get it but you don't really fully get it, you might actually be getting it more than you thought. If, if you say that you get it, you may not be able to get it. Get it? So that was a rhetorical question because no matter how you answer it, you're kind of on the wrong side of it. So, Paul's saying, I, I, I can only get this as I press forward to the one who has called me. I go back to that particular session. He says this. Verse 13, he says, but I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. That, like, if there's a, remember I told you guys a couple weeks ago? No, you don't. People don't remember sermons. Anyways, a couple weeks ago, by the way, I'm Ricardo. Um, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we talked about how so many of the verses in Philippians are like coffee mug verses. Those verses that like, people have memorized, and they could be on coffee mugs, and that's fine. However, it doesn't fit with the whole story. This is one of those verses where people like to, I forget what's behind, and I strive towards what's forward. Okay, but what is he talking about there? Paul is, is talking about that which makes him right before the Lord. And he says, I, I, I know that I actually lived about as good of a Hebrew life as I could have lived, but that's not what's going to define me. But I actually look forward— and forward is not to what he will accomplish, but ultimately what Jesus will accomplish. For us, it does mean that we don't live our life as Christians looking in the rearview mirror. It's not that you don't ever do that. I think it's important. Even as you drive, it's always important to look at the rearview mirror. But it, it'd be very, it, equally and probably more important to not just look at the rearview mirror as you're driving, right? And what Paul is saying is I actually look forward to what's ahead. My past failures, my past successes, our past issues. Like, they, they don't define us as it relates to who we are in the Lord. And for many of us, that is, that is very, very good news. That, that the baggage in which we've created in our life, that God is saying, that's not what you, that happened. It's not to say, like, oh, it never happened. No, it happened. But that's not who you are in the Lord. And so Paul says, I forget what's behind and what's in my past in order that I may actually look to that which is in front of me. And Paul begins to describe what that is. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says the goal is Jesus. The prize is Jesus. And you say, but he already has Jesus. Isn't there something else? No. It's a deepening of that. And Paul says, I don't go to the past to try to make this relationship better. Right? Like, I already have the relationship. There's no need for me to go back to the past, right? Let me try to think of a couple of illustrations this way. So one of them is to think about it this way. Imagine you already have a job, all right? Those of you guys you have a job. You already have the job. You don't go and bring your employer your resume every day, like, hey, just so you know, like, this is what I've done. It's like, listen, we are, you already have the job. <laughs> like, that's kind of silly, or even more silly. You're married, and you tell your wife, you tell your spouse, hey, I love you. And just so you know that I'm capable of love, I've actually called all my ex-girlfriends, and they could tell you how good I am at loving as well. Like, you would never, like, don't ever do that. And don't, don't mishear me. Don't ever, did the pastor just say? No, he did not. In fact, he said, don't ever do that. They, it's like, forget what's behind and strain toward the what's forward, right? Trust me. Uh, So there's, there's, there is this sense of Paul's going, no, the goal is this upward calling that I have in heaven. Here's what makes this difficult for us, guys. What makes the discipleship difficult for us is not many of us, if any, spend much time meditating, thinking about heaven. We may think about escape, right? Like, I can't wait till this world is not the way it is anymore, but heaven. And you've heard this before, like, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there, right? It is longing for the return of Christ, the renewal of all things in Jesus, there's not something As Americans we think about Um, one it's because of the lack of suffering that we go through in terms of just our faith not to say that nobody suffers we suffer in different ways but we don't think of that Um, we don't think about the next life and and, and primarily because we love this life like this is a pretty comfortable life And, and hear me I'm not saying that everybody in here is going through the most amazing things in the world that's not what I'm saying I'm just saying in general we want to be present now like we want to look the way we look now like it is, it is, it is pretty comfortable. I mean, you even look at it from a societal standpoint. We we don't even think the future is like we would. We want to be preserved so much that one of the leading industries that we have financially is plastic surgery, right? And I'm not saying plastic surgery is all bad or all bad, I'm not making that statement right there. I'm just trying to say that when it comes to things, we want things to be. Fresh and new in the way that they are, not to experience something knowing that there's going to be a greater experience when Jesus comes back. Like we don't, we just don't have that, right? I mean, we don't look at people and go, "Wow, how old are you?" Wow, you look even older than you look. And people go, "Oh, thank you. Wow, I can't believe you think that." You know, no, like that—that you would never do that. You usually go, "Wow, you look younger than." Oh, wow, thank you so much. Oh, you're flattering me, right? Um, I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but it's definitely like that in our culture. So to think about. The fact that the way in which we live best now is by looking towards the future, that's a difficult concept for us, and yet what Paul is saying, that's how we deepen that relationship with Jesus. Paul continues here, um, through with me in verse 17. Excuse me, verse 15. He says, Let those who are mature think this way, and if, any, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've already attained. Brothers, brothers, Join me in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So what Paul is said, is let those who are mature think of this way, meaning those who are mature. He's not saying levels of maturity. He's saying if you have a faith in Jesus, think of it this way, that you don't think you fully have it, yet you, you've been had by Christ, that he has you. That you don't ultimately just look to your now, but you look to your future, that is the heavenly call that you have in Christ, to be able to live out in the sufferings and the joys and the highs and the lows that you have today. That's how mature people, he said, think. He's not saying that's how, in terms of thinking that you need to know more. He goes, what you already know, live up to that. I think that's very interesting. It's what you already know, what you've already obtained, just live up to that. Like, if we... Let's just say this. We have the whole Bible, which we're thankful for. But imagine we only had the book of Philippians. Like, all we had was Philippians, and we just had to live up to what God said through Paul through Philippians. Like, that's hard enough. Right? Three weeks ago, we talked about one of the big takeaways was don't complain. How are we doing? Right? Like, we're going to walk out of this room, and we're going to walk outside, and the first thing we're going to do, we're going to go, dang, it's hot outside. Right? And we're going to complain because we forgot that we live in the desert. Right, So there's there's no way. He said, but he's saying, live up to what you already think. What that does mean is there's varying degrees of maturity. Not every Christian is as mature. Those who are more mature seemingly are able to deal with the weaknesses and the flaws of younger Christians. Those who are newly Christian or have all that zeal for Christianity but yet still immature, they're the ones who judge the most out of other people. I never get that. Like, I've never been able to get that. Like, as a newer Christian, sometimes we find ourselves having this, like, like, spiritual high we talk about, right? And then you start looking at every other Christian it's like, I wouldn't wear that. Oh, my gosh, I wouldn't drink that. I wouldn't watch that movie. I would, right? And then you live a little and you go, oh, man, right? <laughs> because the mature Christians, those who are before us, they fully, like, they, they just, they get it far more than we get it. And because of it, they would actually usually say that they, they don't get it, right? He says this. Verse 16, only let us hold up true the what we already attain. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you've seen us. When he says um, join in imitating me, he's not just saying he's the only example. He's saying there's examples all around us. And that our relationship with God is expressed in community and relationship with one another. Okay, and again, that's not anything that you've never heard before. That Christianity is not just about you and Jesus. Is not about your personal relationship with Jesus. And I know everyone's like, wait a minute, that's what I've heard my entire life. It's your relationship with Jesus in the context of other people's relationship with Jesus. That in the way that we grow and participate in God's mission is, the, is, is by relationship with God, with Him, but also with the people around us. Paul says, join in imitating, meaning those who were following Christ, like follow them as they follow Christ. So, this is not a youth group message to say, pick better friends, right? But pick better friends. <laughs> it, it, here's the thing. You, you know you, you're like who you hang out with, right? My mom used to always say, you're, not as, you're only as good as the company you keep. She used to say that all the time. And she would look at me in comparison to my friends in college. Um, I'm like, no, no, I don't do this, but I don't do that, I don't do that. And then at some point you realize, dude, I'm just like the people who I hang out with. And there's this cool thing within, within Christianity, which is, I don't know, it's not that cool, it's kind of stupid. But, uh, like, sometimes Christians want to say, well, you know, I just want to, I, I like being with my non-Christian friends because, you know, it's hard to be around Christians. I don't want to be around Christians and so forth. And I get it. Like, I, I get the sentiment there. But if you don't have any Christian friends, chances are you're like the non-Christian friend. And, and, and here's what I mean. It's like people, I get it. Like, families, our families are dysfunctional, right? Many people's families are dysfunctional. Um, the church is a, is a bunch of families and it's one family and it's wildly dysfunctional and sometimes it's hard to be around people in the family but guess what it's family and there's certain things that family do and they stick together and all those different things that we could talk about but if you don't or if you're not in relationship with people who begin to mimic Jesus pretty soon you'll be able to, you'll begin to mimic the things in which your friends who don't love Jesus mimic right better way to say it is you'll just drift you'll drift most people don't just swim away <laughs> they drift and you'll, you'll, you'll experience it and the people around you experience it. And sometimes that happens through suffering and life circumstances. Um, and, and, it's, and it's so many different ways in which it happens. But you find yourself further away from God than maybe you've ever been. And sadly, um, it's not just something that happens to people who are, quote, unquote, not mature in the faith. It can happen to anybody. And so Paul actually begins to we'll talk about that. Verse 17, he says, brothers, or excuse me, verse 18, he says, for many of you... I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross, of Christ, the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Here, here's what Paul is saying. I think it's a warning too. He's saying, There are those to imitate, and there are those to not imitate. He doesn't say, Don't be friends with them, don't be family members with them. He's not saying that. He's just saying, their destination, their mindset is not on Christ. And therefore, it's not on the heavenly call in which Christ has come in to renew all things. It's on something else. And he says, I say this with tears. And the reason why he says it with tears is because oftentimes those were people who were a part of the family of God at one moment. And this is not a conversation of can you um, be saved and lose salvation. Um, our view is you don't lose it. However, we have to just look at the scripture and teach it as it is. There were some who were in the faith that are not in the faith, Okay. And sadly, many of us know friends and family that were in ministry, that were leaders or whatever, that not just sinned, but, like, walked away from God. Um, and Paul says, and what happens is their, their, their God is their belly, meaning they pursue the appetites of their, just, their fleshly desires, that, that um, ultimately their end is destruction. Like, Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's saying, apart from God and faith in God who draws us up there is destruction, that there's separation. They said so that's the destination which they're headed. The, their glory is their shame. The things in which bring them praise eventually will be the things that bring them shame. And this is not them versus us. This is us if we don't find ourselves locked and loaded in Christ in community. This is not like a, the bad guys, the good guys. No, 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 there are the guys and, and the people who were separated from God and then now who Christ has given an opportunity for all of us to be able to trust and rest and find ourselves In him and that relationship is a battle and it is a struggle because everything else around us does not tell us to follow Jesus all of us are gonna wake up in the morning you're gonna go to some school you're gonna go to a job you're gonna be with a group of friends you're gonna be with somebody somewhere something that is not gonna be consistent with the teachings of Jesus I'm not saying you need to remove yourself from that it is impossible to remove yourself from culture I'm just saying we're swimming upstream And if we don't acknowledge that we're swimming upstream, the currents of culture will allow us to drift away. And it's a lot harder to see, and it's a lot harder to hear, and therefore it becomes our norm. Like everything we will step into tomorrow will tell you to be self-reliant, not reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Everything will tell you tomorrow that you need to upgrade. Your, your wife, your boyfriend, your husband, everything. Whatever it would seem to me the best commitment needs to be. No, there's something better out there. It's time to upgrade. There will be lie after lie after lie. And if we're not saturated with the truth in Christ and those who carry the truth as people, we will begin to believe lies if, if they are true. And that's not them. That's us. That's not other people. That's this particular room. And so Paul says I say it with tears and he concludes this with saying what anchors us verse 20 but our citizenship is in heaven meaning we don't live for this world we live in this world knowing that the other world is coming we live in this world knowing that the one who created it and even in spite of our sin is coming to remove the things in this world that make this world best and new again it's not an escapism It's a realism that says, the realism says, we suffer in this world, and we suffer faithfully with joy in Christ Jesus, who came and is coming back again. And our citizenship, literally that word citizenship means our belonging, our affections. Our affections are for heaven, because that's where Christ is, and he's bringing that particular world here. And from it, he says, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body body, to be like his glorious body and by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. Paul says this, the way in which we stand firm against the lies of culture, the lies within ourselves, the way that we stay rooted and being found in Christ Jesus is by imitation of Christ and being with those who imitate Christ. Having people in our lives who tell us the truth about Jesus, and hear me, and the truth about ourselves. And being friends who tell others about the truth about Jesus and the truth about themselves. And with that, being able to have our eyes open to knowing when we find ourselves drifting away. And the way that that happens is by having our eyes firmly fixed about our belongings and our affections in Christ, longing for the Savior to come back. I appreciate that the rest was <laughs> on the way to Tahoe. So there is, there's, there is. when you have, here's, here's, here's the best way to think of it, or here's a way to think of it. You get discerned if it's the best way. Is you have to look to the finish line in order to be able to know where you are today. You have to look to the goal to know where you are today. Young people who, who, who get married, who are about to get married, they used to like to talk to people about what marriage is like, right? It makes sense. But usually, at least in our context, they talk to their friends who've been married for a year. And they're like, hey, tell us about marriage. Well, I don't know much. Um, and that's not to say if you've been married for a year, you don't know. But you know about a year's worth. As opposed to going, if you want to know about marriage, why don't you look to someone who's been married for years and years and years, decades? Then you'll be able to hear some things. We, we had a couple at Redemption Gilbert when we were there that we would listen to. Whenever they would do like a wedding thing or marriage thing and they would talk about, this couple had been married, I think, before they left to go be with the Lord. I think they were married for a thousand years. <laughs> and, and their stories, their stories were not only comical, they were just so helpful, right? The things, like, they just had so much wisdom that it gave you life to be in your marriage. So like, not, not just it's gonna be okay, like it gave you inspiration, like they would talk about you know their generation and how he was like off to wars and gone and she had like their ten kids and and, and I remember asking her how hard was that for you and he was just like you know what it wasn't that difficult and she was like what because you weren't there and she's like hits them. and like and they're just they're just talking about life and one of the things they say is you can never underestimate just how unimportant most things are and when you're young you're going no everything's important it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not really right. There's this maturity, and there's a sense of going, looking to them, and like decades of marriage actually gave us fresh life in the marriage in which we had in the moment. When it comes to Christianity, and again, this is difficult for us as Americans, but something we have to press into, it is by looking to heaven in which we can make most sense of our daily walks with Jesus today. Right? C- C.S. Lewis begins to talk about how it's actually the Christians of past who look the most to heaven who did the most work in this day he talks about the apostles who changed by God's grace the whole Roman Empire he talks about the e- um, English evangelicals who abolished slave travery, slavery he talks about that he goes in fact it's since that Christians have largely s- stopped to think about the next life that they've been so ineffective in this life that, that he, the, the, the end part of that quote he says this Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you will get neither. What Paul is saying is discipleship apart from focusing on Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming back, we're just probably aiming at earth, which we get neither, as opposed to looking at all of what God is going to do. Our best life is not here, guys. Our best life is in Jesus. And we can experience it here now in Christ, And we will fully have it completed when Christ comes again. So what that means is, when it comes to our daily walk with Jesus, we are not looking for a Disneyland, passionate, sold-out, radical-type faith. We are following a Savior who had a bloody cross and an empty tomb, who calls us to pick up our cross daily with one another. And if we're honest, sometimes our cross is too heavy for us to carry. And so we got to shoulder up somebody else's. And there's going to be a moment where their cross is too heavy to carry, and we're going to have to shoulder it up for them. All while forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's forward, our goal collectively being in Christ Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that the way in which we stand firm is not in our strength alone, but actually in the strength in which you provide. That we are not defined by our successes, Lord, because that would create so much pride. And we are not defined by our failures, Lord, because that would create so much shame and guilt. But we are absolutely defined by the work of your son, Jesus, which produces joy. It's not circumstantial, and it's eternal. Father, that you that begin a good work will find it until its completion. But help us to look to you and the work that you've begun in us by your spirit and also by the same spirit, help us to look to the completion not just individually, but what you were doing in our body, what you are doing in our community, and what you were doing in the world. God, I pray that our lives would be focused upon you, that our prayers would be shifted and focused on an understanding of you, Lord, of a citizenship, of a belonging, of an affection of heaven, that we would be able to walk through the daily pains of today. Lord, not to dismiss, Lord, our tears by any means, And not to dismiss, Lord, the things that go good, but to put them in the rightful perspective under the lordship of Christ. God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we may live for you and by you. In Christ's name, amen.